We're looking all this year at the way of Jesus. We're looking at the commandments Jesus made. We're boiling it all down to those very specific things that Jesus said to us about life and those specific things that Jesus said do and that Jesus modeled doing so we would get a picture of what that uh, particularly looked like. And tonight I want to think about one more of those commandments with you. I want you to think with me about one very particular practice of Jesus that seems to have punctuated his life in a very pervasive kind of way. And I want to read you just a couple of passages from the Bible and see if you can spot the common thread that runs through all of these different accounts that we get in the various uh, Gospels. In the very first chapter of his Gospel, when Mark is just trying to introduce us to the person of Jesus, he tells us this, that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house where he'd been sleeping, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Later on, following a a particularly exhausting uh, luncheon event, Jesus had just thrown a a really significant luncheon for about 5,000 of his closest friends. Uh, It was a free lunch. Lots of people showed up. After the lunch, Matthew writes this. After he had dismissed them, Jesus went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. The gospel writer Luke reports how quickly life became extraordinarily busy for Jesus, how this uh, feeding of the 5,000 was just the start of what was just an amazingly hectic, crazy, action-packed, people-filled schedule for Jesus, day after day, throngs of people seeking Jesus out to teach them, to heal them, to to bless them, to bring something into their life. And Luke says that on one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. Further along still, as Jesus is aware that he's about to be arrested, he's going to be tried falsely found guilty and executed, the Bible says that he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, meaning his disciples, and he knelt down, and what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. And then as death is closing around him several hours later, as Jesus is hanging upon the cross, we see this familiar practice again. Jesus cries out, My God, my God, Where are you? I'm feeling for you. I'm reaching for you. Why have you forsaken me? Where are you? And then a short while later, Jesus says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Father, Abba, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And with that prayer, the Bible says, he breathed his last. Are you seeing a pattern here? What do you notice about the way of Jesus? In his classic devotional book, 
Quiet Talks on Prayer, Samuel Dickey Gordon sums it up like this. How much prayer meant to Jesus. How much prayer meant to Jesus. It was not only his regular habit, writes Gordon, but it was his resort in every emergency, however slight or serious it was. When Jesus was perplexed, he prayed. When he was hard-pressed by work, he prayed. When he was hungry for fellowship, he found it in prayer. He chose his associates, and he received his messages for those associates on his knees. If tempted, he prayed. If criticized, he prayed. If fatigued in body or wearied in spirit, writes Gordon, he had recourse to his one unfailing habit of prayer. Prayer brought Jesus unmeasured power at the beginning of his ministry, and it kept the flow unbroken and undiminished throughout his ministry. There was no emergency, no difficulty, no necessity, no temptation that would not yield to prayer, Jesus found as he practiced it. And then S.D. Gordon asks this really provocative question, and he puts it like this. Shall not we who have been tracing these steps in his life go back over them again and again until we breathe in his very spirit of prayer? And shall we not too ask him daily to teach us how to pray and then plan to get alone with him regularly, that he may actually have the opportunity to teach us and the opportunity to practice his teaching. Jesus expected that one of the most consistent marks of his followers would be that they also would be people of prayer that they would be people who conversed with his Father in heaven moment by moment, day by day, in every circumstance and at every time. Jesus not only modeled the behavior, he taught it to his disciples very purposely. And those disciples wanted him to teach it to them. They noticed how central this life of prayer was to Jesus himself. And on one occasion, we're told, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, and Jesus did teach them in the words that have come to be known as what? The Lord's Prayer. Why did Jesus do this? Why did he command his followers to always pray and to never give up praying? as we're told in one of the Gospels. Well, I want to suggest to you tonight that there are four reasons in particular that I can think of that it makes great sense for us to attend to as we think about the role of prayer in our life. For one thing, prayer connects us with our Father in heaven. I couldn't imagine uh, in my house uh, coming home and, and sitting down at the dinner table and uh, just digging into the food and having my kids say nothing to me. Uh, I could not imagine 
an environment in which they simply ate what I was offering and never interacted with me in any way. Sometimes I wish that they talked a little less about money, a little less about the keys to the car, but I still always want to hear from them as a father, as an earthly father. And this talk, even when I've heard it before, and I will tell you the truth, a lot of our conversations at dinner, they go over the same stuff. How was school? Uh, okay. What'd you do? Nothing. Right? We talk about the same things. The conversations are very similar. But it just makes me happy to hear my kid's voice, to, to, to have some sense of, of how they're feeling, and to see the glimmer of desire that rises up in them if we talk long enough to really share their heart with me. Your heavenly Father feels like that about you. He does not get tired of your voice. He does not get tired of hearing you, bringing your heart's concern, your confessions of sin, your confessions of confusion, your confessions of anger, your expressions of hope, your, your, your petitions for help. He never gets tired of experiencing that connection with you. Secondly, prayer accesses the mysterious power of God's kingdom. Prayer not only builds the connection with us, prayer, the Bible teaches us, accesses the amazing power by which God's kingdom moves through your life and my life into this world, into the lives of others. I'm going to touch more on that in a, in a moment, but I wanted to say that every time we say about any sphere of our life, in, in these words or in a sentiment similar, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, every time we in some way open ourselves up and say, God, please make it in my life, in this workplace, in this relationship, in this particular circumstance, like you want it uh, in heaven. Anytime you do it here on earth, the power of God moves into this world in a deeper way. And in a greater measure, his kingdom comes. We become opened up to being used for his purposes and I would suggest it makes him even more inclined when we pray like this to use us as conduits of his grace when we want to see his kingdom come, when we want to see his will be done. Thirdly, prayer reminds us of our dependence on God for our daily resource. Prayer is one of the most consistent ways that we remind ourselves that we are not our own makers. We are not our own source. In many ways, we can't even be our own resource in the ways that count. Every time that my own children say to me, give us this day our daily fast food or our weekly allowance or our monthly iTunes card, every time my kids come to me, even with a, a petition that is sort of not large enough or significant enough for my tastes at moments, but each time they come to me in this way, they're remembering that as independent as they are growing to be, as I want them to be, they still depend on me, their mother too, as a source for blessing that they cannot supply to themselves. Um, they will not be as blessed without a steady relationship with somebody who has greater capacity than they have. 
And we need our Father. We go to him in prayer, in confession that we desperately need, as bright as we are, as well-educated as we are, as moneyed as we are, as well-connected with friends as we are, we still need what he alone can give, what he alone can move, what he alone can supply to have our lives be what they should be, what they can be. Fourthly, prayer supplies us with strength to win the spiritual battle. Okay? Prayer is God's chosen supply line to give us the strength that we need to win the spiritual battle, the Bible says. Both Jesus and his apostles taught that our greatest struggle in this life is not against flesh and blood. Okay? It's not against that person that irritates us or cuts us off or challenges us in business. Our greatest struggle is not even against our own physical flesh, but is instead, the Bible says, against the spiritual forces of evil that demoralize and distract and degrade and divide us. That's the greatest struggle. And for that reason, we are counseled in Scripture to pray on all occasions, to keep on praying for all the saints, to lift each other up, that God may forgive us our sins and lead us out of temptation, the Bible says, and thereby deliver us from evil both on the inside and on the outside of us. We need God's help to win the spiritual battle. So these are just four of the major reasons why Jesus counsels us to pray, to always pray and not give up in our prayer life. It's because prayer connects us with our Father in heaven. It's because prayer accesses the power by which God's kingdom comes into our life and moves through our life and that of others. It's because prayer reminds us of our daily dependence upon God. And, and, it, and it further aligns us, in a sense, with his very purposes. And through prayer, God supplies us with the strength that we need to be more victorious in the spiritual battles, the struggles, the choices, the temptations that are a part of our daily journey. And all of this, says Jesus, is so that God may be glorified. So that through our lives, the flowering and the, the fulfilling of our lives, God will be glorified, and so that our joy, Jesus says, may be full, may be complete. God wants us to pray, to be in vital connection with him, to have his resources moving in and through us, to win the battle so that he'll be glorified. So people will know this is a powerful, wonderful, glorious God. And so that our joy as his children may be full. Given all of those benefits, can you see why Jesus would say, always pray and don't give up? Which of those benefits, I wonder, is most meaningful to you? Do you need most a connection with him? Is that what's missing right now? You just need to, to feel his presence, to, to know that he's with you. Is it, is it, is it to be filled with a power to, to bring his kingdom into some sphere of your life? Is that what you need right now? Is what going on for you right now is that you've been living your life in such isolation, doing it on your own strength, that you need to be reminded of your dependence? Or are you struggling in some spiritual battle for which you desperately need his strength to gain the victory? For all of these reasons, Jesus says, pray.
How do we do that? How do we do that? What is this life of prayer that Jesus lived and has called us to? How do we actually pray? Well, I want to think with you about just a couple of different principles of prayer, if I may. And I've given you a place even in the, in the um, uh, worship folder to jot down a note or two on this if you'd like, or if it's more valuable to you to pick up a copy of the message after the service on our website, you can do that. But I'm going to move quickly here uh, on just a couple of very important principles of prayer. First of all, pray purposely. Pray on purpose. I know that when, when I blurt out God's name when I mishit a golf shot or I blurt out God's name when I stub my toe going to the bathroom at night, I suppose that's a form of prayer, but it's not a purposeful prayer, okay? It's not a purposeful prayer. God has in mind a deeper, better connection than that. Every relationship that matters most in our lives rises or falls on the purposeful investments we make in that relationship. Think about it. Is there a single relationship in your life that does not depend on a purposeful investment in it? Love is still spelled T-I-M-E, right? Still spelled that way. So become more purposeful, more intentional about prayer is is one of the callings I think God gives to me and to you. Uh, Decide, I'm going to spend some time, if I don't already do this, Praying before I get out of bed in the morning. Uh, That's the first thing I'm going to do when my eyes wake up, is I'm not going to run down the to-do list, or maybe that'll come to my mind, but that will spur me to immediately pray and to turn these things over to God. Develop a habit of praying when you brush your teeth. Uh, As you breathe, Lord, be in me. Lord, work through me. In me, through me. Um, find yourself some, some regular marker moments. Every time you get in the car, that's a time when you know to pray. Turn off the radio and, and talk to him. Or kneel at your bedside at night. Or stop at key intervals during the day. And when you feel the clench of pressure, just open your hands, open them to him, or close them and in, in clasp them. And say, Lord, I'm coming before you. I'm with you. Be in me. Work through me. In this circumstance, be purposeful about praying, talking to him, listening to him in prayer. Secondly, pray personally, okay? Pray personally. Remember that you're talking to somebody who is infinitely more important and wise and powerful than any earthly president, but this one happens to be your dad, okay? You're like John F. Kennedy Jr. underneath the desk. Remember that famous picture of him just under the seat of power? That's him. You're at the foot of the, of the master, of the great Lord of the universe. He's thrilled to have you there. You can pray personally to him. Richard Foster writes, just as a little child can't draw a bad picture, a child of God can't utter a bad prayer. The accuser might say, oh, that's a, that's a terrible prayer. The grammar's bad, it's, it's egocentric, it's wrong-headed. But I think God says, that's my child when we pray. That's my child. He's chosen to, or she's chosen to come and be with me. She's chosen to be in my presence 
That's a beautiful prayer, God says. Thirdly, pray privately, the Bible teaches us. Praying alongside of other people, don't get me wrong, is one of the most beautiful privileges of the Christian life. I think we are counseled to do that as well, to pray for each other and shoulder to shoulder with each other. But we always need to remember that prayer is not about impressing the public. Right? It's not about, you know, sounding eloquent and showing how much theology we have and how much Bible we could quote. Jesus tells his disciples, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. They got what they wanted. People were impressed by them. It's, they've been paid for what they were out after. But when you pray, close the public door. It's just you and me, Lord. Even when you're praying with other people, forget about the other people. Just talk to your dad in prayer because your reward is not that they are impressed by how you pray. Your reward is intimacy with your father. Fourthly, pray plainly. Don't be afraid to pray really plainly. I I knew this guy in seminary. I just, I love to listen to that man pray. I learned from listening to that man pray because he just talked with his father in heaven like it was his father on earth. He just talked in the simplest, plainest terms. Um, He just forgot himself. Um, in the presence of others and just talk to God so plainly. Over the years, I've used all kinds of devotional books. Uh, I've used the prayers of other people, sometimes very eloquent people, to draw me into the heart of God, to teach me about raising my heart towards God. I found that the beautiful words that have been penned by people who walked very closely with Jesus help bring my own heart and my own mind before God. But when I'm out and about, all those other times I don't have a devotional book in front of me, I don't need to speak in eloquent and polished language, and I don't. I definitely don't. I say, God, you know, I'm bugged. I'm scared. I'm, I'm working on this stuff. I'm not sure what to do. Where are you? I need your help. Please inspire me. i got to preach again this week. What am I going to say? Just like that. Jesus said, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need, even before you ask them. Don't think about piling up all of your prayer in one place at one time. Just arrow prayers, little bit prayers, soundbite prayers. Fit in the cracks of your life prayers all day long, wherever you go. Just pray plainly in these ways. God can handle your rantings and your ravings and your bad grammar and your questions and your doubts and your blurting and your stammering. He certainly handles mine. And pray positively, too. Pray positively, too. And by that, I mean put your faith in God when you pray. Be positive about the fact he's listening, that it is his desire to give you good things. 
Ask him for what you believe you need. Dare to believe. He can deliver it. He absolutely can. As Rick reminded us last week, God can still move mountains. Jesus said, do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will happen. I love how positive A.W. Tozer, a great theologian and preacher of the last century, was about this. This is what he writes. Anything God has ever done, he can do now. Right? Anything he's ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere in the world, he can do here. Right? Right here. And anything God has ever done for anyone else, he can do for you. He absolutely can do for you. He has not stopped working miracles. He has not uh, stopped resurrecting, transforming, renewing human life. Anything he's ever done anywhere, and for anyone he can do here and for you. I think of the woman who approached a a handsome man as he stood next to the rail on a cruise ship. And and she says to him, you know, you, you you look just like my fourth husband. Your fourth husband, he said. How many times have you been married? Three times, she smiled. She was positive in prayer, positive in her hope. You know, God longs to know what we really long for, even if it's not exactly what we need most. And and that brings to mind, I think, one final aspect of how Christ commands us to pray. We are to pray persistently too. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells us this incredible story of this widow who goes to a... um, a really obnoxious, difficult, cantankerous, and crooked judge. And she goes to him because she needs justice. And the guy ignores her. He doesn't get the email. He doesn't answer the door. He just keeps pushing her away. But she just will not give up, and she keeps going back and going back and going back, and finally the guy relents and says, Ah, okay, (laughs) I give up. I'm going to do what you're asking for. And Jesus tells us this particular story to say, in effect, if a stranger like that woman can get a hard-hearted, corrupt bureaucrat to do what she longs for and needs by simply persevering and going after him, how much better are your chances when you bring your heart's desire before your dad in heaven? who is not corrupt, who only longs for good in your life? Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Jesus asks. Those who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice. I want to say in closing that there is a big difference between the kind of positive and persistent faith that Jesus is talking about here and the sort of name it and claim it kind of praying and positive thinking that's ballyhooed a lot today. Um, You will hear some speakers, authors, preachers saying that all you've got to do is keep demanding something of God 
or of life, and you will automatically draw it to yourself. Um, Have faith in this prayer cloth I'll sell you. Have faith in the secret power of your positive thinking. Have faith in your uh, ability to concentrate and summon reality, and what you want will come to you. That is a, there's a whole stream of thinking out there. Some popular speakers, authors are selling this idea. But this is not what Jesus says prayer is all about. Jesus does not say, put your faith in your thinking. Put your faith in this prayer tool. Jesus says, put your faith in God. Have faith in your heavenly Father. Ultimately, prayer is about deepening our relationship with our heavenly Father. It's about letting his heart and his soul and his mind and his strength come and fill us up. And sometimes the greatest value of long-term prayer, of of having prayed, I've done this sometimes, I've prayed sometimes for months and years for the same thing before I saw anything even resemble an answer to that prayer. Sometimes the value of that is that we finally hear him in the process of our asking. As John Piper writes, the point is not to finally break God's resistance, but to discover by patient prayer God's wisdom as to the way and the time that our prayer should be answered. A man once asked God how long a million years was to him. And God replied, a million years to me is just like a single second in your time. And then the man asked God what a million dollars was to him. And God answered, well, a million dollars to me is just like a single penny to you. Then the young man screwed up his courage and he asked, God, could I have one of your pennies? And God smiled and said, sure, just a second. God is, in fact, not so flippant, but he is not the cosmic ATM either. Right? He is not the cosmic ATM. And if you study the model prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples, the Lord's Prayer, you'll see it's not about asking God for health, wealth, and prosperity, so much as it is about asking for intimacy with him, number one, grace and mercy with our most basic needs for survival and for salvation from sin and evil, and asking for the ability to serve his good purposes. This is what the model prayer is teaching us. Intimacy with him, grace and mercy in our most basic needs, and the ability to serve his good purposes. Are these the lines that your prayers are running along? Because they are the ones that your Father in heaven most delights in answering. Somebody who learned to pray in a deep and a life-changing way, once confessed his or her journey with God in these prayers with which I'll end. I asked for strength that I might achieve, and he made me weak that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things, and I was given grace that I might do better things. 
I asked for riches that I might be happy, and I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men, and I was given weakness that I might feel my need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life, and I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing that I asked for, but all that I hoped for, all that I at the deepest level hoped for, and my prayer was answered. May the Lord who commanded you to always pray and not give up answer your prayers too as you continue in the way of Jesus. Amen.